This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. 30 seconds to air. What do you think about flowers for the show notes? Anyone have the promo for the show notes? Wait, where's the Fiji water? Is this, this isn't, is this tap water? 15 seconds. Somebody get the cat. I can't drink tap Grab water. Can, can, can someone tell Joe's mom to stop vacuuming? It's not hard to find. Has anybody this seen feet. my hair gel? Tesian water, natural. Quiet on the set, live in three, two. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and have you ever wondered how you can be a better leader? Today, we'll talk to a woman who led an Australian Antarctic research station, Rachel Robertson. Plus, in our headline segment, have workplace 401k plans outstayed their welcome? One Piece says they have, and we'll dive into it. Plus, maybe add in our own opinions. We'll also toss out the Haven Lifeline to Sean to help him figure out how best to save. And of course, you can't forget about my fantastical trivia. And now, two guys who have never been part of a successful team, like ever, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Of course I was. I remember uh, eighth grade, my team won the Little League Championship, part of a great team there. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Teams for the Win. I'm Joe Salcia. I average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, the guy wearing the manager's hat on this team, it's Mr. OG. Is that the team that uh, was just intramural and they didn't really keep score and everybody won? <laughs> and they had everybody the... get a trophy, Joe, on your Little League team? Back away, dude. It's getting, too, getting hot in here. Is it getting hot in here? After four straight pitches in the dirt, you know, they let the kid put it on the tee and hit it. It just whack-a-mole with that thing. And it's still like six swings. There was, no, they, there was never a strikeout. Actually, I like when they first start keeping score. And they had a rule, in our Little League anyway, called the anti-merry-go-round rule. <laughs> Meaning if a kid got a hit, they had to stop at the base. Because coaches would just keep sending the kids because they knew that the other oh, kids yeah. couldn't throw. Yeah, just keep running. But isn't it yeah. bad that that's about the parents and not about the kids? Like, they don't have 100%. that rule for the kids. The kids don't care. Yeah. It's, it's dad that thinks it is Little Leaguer's Derek Jeter. <laughs> it's, it is so amazing. Hey, something else that's amazing. This show is brought to you by The Stacker. That is where you can go to not only get all kinds of tips based on real-life examples of how one guy messed up his money completely, and you don't have to do that. I took, it, I took, took one for the team there. OG, that's being a team player. Right it there. Yes. 
all of those where OG and I are going to be once we get rid of this uh, little pandemic situation. We got to clear that out first. Then we're going to go on a big tour, see as many That's people all we're as possible. Do. There's going to be so much traveling well, uh, just to get out of your own house for a while. Oh, I've been out of my house for a while. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you, you're going to do the exact opposite. You're going to like, you're going to find a place to live. I am. I'm going to find a random stacker and say, can I live with you, please? Please. Yeah, good stuff. Stacky Benjamins. out of my suitcase. <laughs> Stackybenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Uh, Rachel Robertson, one of my favorite, favorite people talking about being better at your career and better on a team, better leadership. She did something not even 99.9% of us haven't done. Would you think the number's less than 100, the number of people that have led a research station on Antarctica? Um, sure. I wouldn't yeah, have I any perspective on this. I can't imagine how few people have done it. She's going to tell us all the stories today. Can't wait for that. But first, we got a headline that I would say half our listenership sent to us. So let's talk about it, OG. Let's roll. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Bloomberg. This is an opinion piece written by a guy named Aaron Brown. My Twitter feed lit up when this thing came out. And then the Facebook group lit up. 401k plans no longer make much sense for savers. Did you know that? Oh, I didn't. But uh, between this and TikTok, I think we've got it covered. Do we even need to talk about it right now? <laughs> We're done. Just go to TikTok, get some advice. Forget about your 401k. I think you're good. Aaron writes, the 401k retirement plan was authorized by the Revenue Act in 1978, which took effect in 1980, but its real genesis is the 1974 Employee Retirement Income Security Act, ERISA, they call it, which fixed the problem of underfunded defined benefit plans so thoroughly that private employers stopped offering them. Benefit consultant Ted Benna came up with a way to use the 1978 act for a tax-deferred defined contribution plan, and the rest is history. The tax advantage. Look at, look at how smart Aaron is to give us that history. I love it when the quote opinion pieces start out with, let me show you exactly how intelligent I am. Let this thing started back in 1978, whereupon therefore unto a pertaining, blah, 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 blah. Okay, Churchill, let's, let's just get, <laughs> get to the to point. Get to your point. Yes. <laughs> I realize you get paid by the word. However. Exactly. Let's, let's move it along. Writer boy. Mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> Less talky talk. Yes. Uh, close Wikipedia and begin okay. telling us what you're thinking. Okay. Okay. Secondary sources. Let's hear it. We are snarky today. Just oh, snarky. The tax advantage of a 401k depends on four factors, all of which have changed dramatically since 1980 to the detriment of 401ks. We're going to go through <clears throat> these one by one. Ready? All right. Let's For hear a median income married couple with two children. Aaron says, number one, the marginal federal income tax rate was 43% in 1980. It's 12% today. And by the way, the marginal rate is that top rate on the stair step that people pay. Number one. The last, the tax on the last dollar. Number one, that ain't correct. It's a sliding number. You mean what the average person is paying? Well, maybe he's saying the average person's in the 12% bracket. Maybe. But he, but he's well, a definitive I mean, statement that says the marginal federal income tax rate is twelve percent. Well, I think didn't he say for the for the average household income or something? Oh yeah, like that? you're right. <laughs> I just read that, didn't I? Median income married couple with two children. Capital gains yeah. tax rate was twenty eight percent. Now it's zero. Long term, yep. The likely retirement bracket rate 
was 15% in 1980s, 12% today. Mm-hmm. Interest rates in 1980 were around 15% compared to 0% today. All of these are factually correct. How does this affect the, f- <laughs> the success or failure of a 401k? Well, this is the thing. He goes through all of these things and says that, number one, there are no... I'll just skip to his point. Tax-wise, it doesn't make sense like it did before. It's not the great tax shelter that it used to be. And number two, because it's coupled to your employer, your employers can uh, load these things full of fees. Well, your employer really doesn't care about loading it with fees, but the providers do because for most plans, and you and I will walk down the street again, OG, a lot of small employers have two choices. They either offer a plan and pick up these monster fees of running it, or they have to pass it on to the employee. And in most cases... Passing it on to the employee makes it much less onerous for the employer to be able to do that. Well, and then, you know, the next step of that is, you know, they get set up and it costs money to establish a plan that's coming out of the owner's pocket. It costs money to run the plan on a quarterly basis and do all the reporting and that sort of stuff. And we can argue about whether or not they're too high or too low, but they're just factually, there are some costs associated with that. And in order to sometimes offer the benefit of the plan, you've got to share the cost a little bit. But all of that's well and good. The problem happens down the road 15 years when the banker who set it up or the broker who set it up doesn't come back to the employer and say, hey, by the way, when you set this thing up, it was 2003. It was you and three employees. And now you have 37 employees and your plan has $18 million in it. We can do a better deal for you. I know this for a fact because every time I talk to clients who have some say in their company 401k plan, who can say, hey, talk to Bill in accounting and he can help you or talk to Sally, the CFO, and she can give you the information. Every single time I say, we can do better than that. All they do is they come back to their old provider and say, well, hey, we've got somebody that's offering this for 20 cents on the dollar, what you guys are charging, what's up? And they go, oh, Gee, sorry about that. Yeah, we can adjust that. Hold on. Click, click, click. Boom. You're, you're saving money. Every single time that the providers come up with a more cost effective. Every single drink. time. Every Every time. single time. And I'm okay with that. You know, some I had a client that asked me one time if I was mad that I put a lot of work into it <laughs> to, quote, win the business, right? You know, like, hey, I'm doing this pitch. I said, no, I'm happy for it. I would do this a thousand times. It doesn't take me a lot of effort to run a proposal. But that's where the issue lies in terms of the fees for me. Here's the other thing Aaron says then. From that point, he goes, listen, we have a big problem here, which is that uh, 401ks are tied to your employer. If because of the fact that a lot of the cost structure doesn't make sense anymore, a lot of the tax benefits are gone, let's strip that away and make it so that people can either put money with their employer or they can automatically put money in their own IRA. Yeah. Well, you can do that anyway. And we just know from you know human behavior that that, that just doesn't happen. The, the only way to... Yeah, but a lot of people don't have in-service withdrawal option, which means you can take it out while you're working there and do it. No, I'm talking about just the fact that it comes out of your paycheck because it's a function of your employer is the only reason that you're doing it. That... Because you have the option now. You could go set up a Roth IRA. You could set up one for your spouse. You could go do non-deductible plans and, you know, 529s and start a side hustle and you could do all this crap, but you're not. That's the straw man argument here that drives me crazy. I agree with much of what Aaron's saying 
but saying that for leading with 401ks don't make sense. And most of what people were blowing up about online was about, oh, I don't, should I, should I really save it in my 401k, Joe? Is saving it in my 401k something I should do? Abs- are, are, are you kidding me? The best piece of this and the thing that trumps everything is the fact that you're saving automatically before you see the money. Do not yeah. stop saving into your 401k. Or might I also add that even under the crappiest matching plan, you're getting free money. The same people that are putting the emphasis on my internal cost of my American growth fund is 0.7 and that's BS. And I'm so, so I'm not going to do my 401k anymore is tripping over the 3% match to save 70 basis points, 0.7% and not even save that, by the way, save 30 or 40 basis points on their account value as opposed to getting a, you know, free money the long way. So totally agree. But even worse than that, OG, they say, I'm not saving my 401k anymore and they do nothing. I'll show you. Yes. I'll make sure that I never retire. I'm not putting any money away because the fees are high and I don't get a tax benefit. So I'm not saving. That's what we tend to do. Yeah. Notwithstanding the fact that you could just do the Roth side of your 401k and would argue that that would be a pretty decent tax benefit of never paying taxes again. Another ever. another article, though, talking about fees and taxes and coming up with don't do it as the result. I agree with most everything well, I mean, that Aaron says, but coming up with the result of, yeah. yep, 401k sucks, don't do it. Yeah. yeah, but guess how many people get to talk about this? So mission accomplished. His and- entertainment project paid off and i don't have to go to wikipedia anymore to look up where they came from yeah you can just you can just read the first three paragraphs of his five paragraph (laughs) five paragraph essay at the beginning of his piece find out all you need to know about it so good our second piece comes to us from uh napa-net now that we have our blood boiling a little bit og maybe some good news how about that how plans are they going to raise everybody's tax rate so we can get finally get a tax deduction (laughs) Good news. Everybody's taxes are going up, which makes it great. That's that's there you go. Uh, That'd be funny. Congress goes, um, we gave people a bunch of money. We have no idea how to pay down this debt. So like every American family, we're actually going to make everybody work a little harder. Sorry. Yeah, we read Aaron's article and uh, we feel feel really bad that this thing that we created (laughs) 40 years ago is no longer valuable. So we're going to make it super valuable. And I didn't know that went back to 1978. Thanks, Aaron. I know. Exactly. <laughs> our, our second piece, uh, uh, how plan sponsors and participants reacted to the CARES Act CRDs. Uh, this is written by Ted Godbaugh over at Napa-Net. In an update to its annual How America Saves study, Vanguard offers a detailed look at how plans and participants responded to the added 401k distribution options provided by the CARES Act. Remember that... Under the CARES Act, OG, people can go take money out of their 401k and have no penalty if it's related to coronavirus uh, pain and you can't pay your mortgage, can't pay your bills, whatever it might be. I don't know that anybody's going to be auditing Or need a new car. Yes. Xbox. New Xbox coming out. Mm -hmm. That dude who took the PPP money to get his Lamborghini, do that with your 401k. Totally necessary. But he thought about that. Why would I use my own 401k money versus using somebody else's money? I mean, yeah. OPM. Well, that was stating the fraud on the application. <laughs> um, it's a business deduction. Fraud schmod. Yeah, uh, that's a different headline, guys. Sorry, a little inside baseball there. But look up the dude who bought a Lamborghini with his uh, government money uh, if you want a good uh, groan. 
But Vanguard releases 2020 edition of How America Saves. I said that. Following the enactment of the CARES Act in March, they reached out to their plan sponsor clients to determine which options they wanted to implement in their plan. So they went to all of the employers because employers got to choose. Do you want to let people get their money early or not? This is cool. 99% of employers indicated that they were going to permit their participants to access their retirement funds if necessary. Imagine working for Scrooge McDuck. Who's that 1%? <laughs> nope. I didn't know that they had a choice. I, apparently they do, according to this piece. In addition, of the plans allowing access, 83% are extending this option to both active and former employees who still have a balance in the plan. 83%. Remarkably, though, despite all this turmoil, Vanguard found that of the people uh, who were offered those options, only 1.9% of people withdrew assets from their retirement plan. Of those, 91% took one distribution, while 9% initiated multiple distributions over the two months. I'm more likely to think that the 9% that took multiple distributions were the people that really needed it. Because that feels to me like people that really don't want to go to that bucket, so you go for as little as possible, and then you're like, uh -huh. damn, damn it, I don't have a job yet, so I got to take a little more. Uh, I got to take a little more. Yeah, I think this is a pretty short-lived study. I mean, really kind of the the stress that has come out of this is still manifesting itself. Agreed. So it's yeah. certainly not over yet. No, more to come. The average distribution was 20690 The median distribution, 10403 People, by the way, are allowed to take up to $100,000. And you can pay it back. So the, you know, the interesting thing with this is that, uh, number one, you can take it out without penalty. And number two, you can put it back over the next three years. Now, the the reality, of course, is that from a from a tax standpoint, you really only have till the end of this year to put it back in this year's third, if you will. So the 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 IRS is going to kind of tax this in thirds over the next uh, three years if you elect that. But um, you know, kind of opened up the uh, rules a little bit to make sure that people could access what they need to. So it's good. Remember that we had uh, Shelly Ewica from TIA on with mm -hmm. us when we did our, our big uh, restacking Benjamins show. And she talked about just how dangerous it is that yes, you can take money from there, but, but please don't put it back. If at all possible, put it back ASAP. I think that this should still be your, your last place to go for money. Don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was just having the conversation with my son, uh, my oldest. He has a brokerage account. He's got fifteen hundred bucks in it. He's just. You know, I was just going to ask it. him. Uh, can I talk to him about a loan? Well, his brother is super peed off because he can't understand. But my oldest is a saver, and my middle kid is a spender like crazy. And we did the whole doubling thing. You know, like, hey, you're thirteen. If it doubles every eight years, you know, when you're seventy, you're going to have five hundred thousand bucks just on this money. Like, Bam. if you never touch this money again. The power of that compounding is so important over long periods of time. And if you take out 20 grand, it's not 20 grand. You know, it's 20 double, 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 you lost. know, depending on how old you are. So, yeah, lost a lot, lot, last lot resort of, of money. I think that is our uh, first lesson. Don't do it. Glad to see that very few people did it. And it does seem more than, you know, you and I were kind of skeptical early on that people were taking it just for 
you know, Hey, I got my 401k money available so I can take it out. And I have seen that online too. Hey, anybody think about taking this out since there's no penalty. Um, good to see people aren't doing that. And number two, the magic of a 401k OG is not the tax benefit. And it is also not the fee structure. Those are important, but the magic is you're saving before you see the money. Don't stop putting money in your 401k plan because Aaron said so. You ever think about going to Antarctica? Uh, no. There's Actually, days- not true. There's a uh, cruise that you can do, like the National Geographic cruise type of thing out of Tierra del Fuego down yeah. there. And um, But I guess that uh, that ship journey from South America to Antarctica is very treacherous. Oh. Because just the way the currents are and a lot of water moving around. So I got to tell you, there have, there have definitely definitely been days when I've been looking out the window or it's 95 degrees and I think, man, OG should go to Antarctica. (laughs) (laughs) I cracked myself up. Uh, But Rachel Robertson did that. She was the youngest ever chief ranger at age 32, leading in a bunch of Australians to one of their three research stations in Antarctica, leading that, especially in the winter when there is no sun for days and days and days and days creates a leadership challenge that uh that we're about to hear about so if you have ever tried to lead people or if you're somebody who is looking to lead people and maybe do better at your career rachel's a great person to talk to about that which is why we're talking to her right now And joining me on my dad's shortwave, all the way from down under, it's our new friend, Rachel Robertson. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Well, tell me, Antarctica. So my understanding, you were very young when this happened. How old were you when you went to Antarctica? I was 35, yeah. And at 35, you're asked to lead this team. I would imagine that people of all ages on this team... Based on my homework, I think you were in public relations earlier. Yeah. How do you go from public relations to all of a sudden emperor penguins? <laughs> and I, I would love to sit here and tell you it was a strategic career move or <laughs> it was something planned. It was not. It was, um, I was 35 and I was single at the time and I was just flicking through the newspaper and I saw a picture of a penguin in the careers section, in the job wanted section, which is kind of unusual to see a penguin in the career section. And it was for this job called station leader in Antarctica. And when I looked at the advertisement, I noticed that the Antarctic division, so that's the employer, was recruiting for resilience, empathy and integrity. You didn't actually need to know anything about Antarctica because they figure we can teach you that in, in your three months of training. We can't teach you resilience and we can't teach you empathy. So they recruit for those qualities. And I just thought, what a, what a fantastic way to recruit, recruit people who've got the qualities you need. So my fiendish plan was only ever to get to the interview stage so I could 
find out what questions they were using and I could copy them. I never wanted this job. I never wanted it. I just wanted to get to the job interview. And then I find out they um they don't have a job interview, that the selection process is a boot camp that goes for a week. So I end up in this boot camp with 13 men competing for a job I didn't want. And then they, <laughs> lo and behold, ring and offer it to me. And I thought, you know what? I'd rather regret what I did and regret what I didn't do. And that is the only reason I ended up down there. It was completely by accident. <laughs> what what happens in a boot camp like that? It's exhausting deliberately what they do, because you can ask somebody in an interview, are you resilient? And they can give you some fancy answer that they've rehearsed. But what they do in the boot camp is they, they put us through our paces from eight o'clock in the morning to about 11 o'clock at night. We do group work. We do individual work. We do a lot of physical kind of oh, one one time we have to walk for four hours carrying somebody on a stretcher. And so you're physically exhausted. You're mentally exhausted because they're challenging you. You're emotionally exhausted because you're sharing a confined space with people. So you're sharing a cabin and sharing bathrooms. And they do it deliberately to put you under pressure to see how you cope. Because when you're in Antarctica, and it's the same for the US program, once you're there, you can't get out in the middle of winter. They can't bring you out. So they really need to make sure the people going in can cope. And the only way they can simulate that is to put you under intense pressure to see how you cope. And so, yeah, that's all it's about, just a pile of pressure on and see how you cope. And I think my default position when I'm under pressure, like like a lot of working mums, I just sort of think, okay, I'll just knuckle down and do what I need to do to survive the next hour and the next day (laughs) and the next week. And I think that's what got me through that I just sort of went, oh, well, I'll just, you want me to, one time we had to um, paddle across a lake with the oar the oars upside down. So you're holding that fat bit of the paddle and you're actually paddling with the skinny handle. And a lot of the rest of the applicants were like rolling their eyes going, oh my goodness. And I just thought, well, fine, if that's what I need to do, that's just what I'll do. Right. And I think that helped me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny. I mean, throwing off discouragement, I'm sure in that environment is a huge piece of winning. It really is. It was fascinating for me to see the people who called themselves people, people who said, I'm a real people person. I love people. But by the end of day three or four of sort of 17, 18 hours of being with people, those people struggled the most because they just, I think, weren't honest enough with their feelings. Whereas for me, I'm actually an introvert. So I was, I could actually articulate that I, I need to go to bed now and I need some headspace. I need some time on my own just to reflect and reset. And I think that that helped as well. How many stations does Australia have in Antarctica? So we've got the three. We've got three on the continent and then we've got what we call a subcontinental Antarctic island, so Macquarie Island. And I think think the US might have three as well. So yeah, Australia is actually the biggest stakeholder. We claim 45%. So obviously no one owns Antarctica. There's no government in Antarctica, which I think it's lovely um, at the moment with the world in such a such disarray that we can look down at Antarctica and see here's this amazing continent that's managed by the whole global community. There's no government. We all just manage it together as a, as a community. And I think it's lovely and positive at this time to see what we can do in cooperation. How does Davis compare to the other two uh, stations that you have? They're quite different. Um, Davis has most of the science projects and that's just because of our geography. We're on the edge of the continent and we have a lot of geology and geomorphology, all, all the ologies that I had never heard of before. <laughs> like, glaciology. Oh my goodness, what's glaciology? And then uh, Casey Station, which is closest to Australia. It's only a four-hour flight on a big, big aeroplane. They tend to get all the politicians doing day trips. Lucky them. Um, <laughs> and then Mawson Station is a, is a really quiet one. And, and that's more of a romantic kind of place for us because it was our first station. And so we've had uh-huh. 
Australians working there for, I think, 60 years now. So we've got that continuous history with Mawson. So that's a little bit of a romantic one. But Davis is the one where most of the science happens. And we get a lot of scientists from um, the US and Europe and all around the world. I had, I think I had 22 different science projects oh. over the summer. So just to set the stage then, you're 35 years old. Your background is public relations. Yep. You've been to this boot camp, but you've never done anything like this before. <laughs> and now you're going to lead a team of how many people? Uh, so in summer, there's 120 and then they go home in February and then there's 18 of us that stay behind for the next nine months. So it's a really different job, summer and winter. Summer, I've got two helicopters and three planes. I've got, you know, all the science projects, all of the, um, the construction. We can only do construction work on the station in summer. So it's busy. It's 24 hours of daylight. It's really fun and exciting. And then, then they go home and then 18 of us stay behind. And then my job is about keeping morale up and stopping sure. them from kill, killing each other. You know, how do I create this culture where we can live together peacefully because I can't send them home? It's yeah, it's really different. Yeah. And there's no, I mean, there's very little sunlight that time of year. 24 hours of darkness. So uh, what's the date? Uh, 21st of July. Um, yeah. Yeah, the sun has just peaked over the horizon at David Station. So they haven't had any sun for eight weeks. And this week they're getting six minutes a day. And that will gradually increase until like 12 minutes, 18 minutes, until eventually it's 24 hours of, of sunlight. So that both are really unique and pose different sort of challenges. But for 24 hours of sunlight, getting sleep is difficult because the sun peaks through the curtain and your brain goes, oh, it's daytime. Whereas 24 hours of darkness is a lot more difficult around mental health and, and keeping motivated when it's just dark 24 hours a day. So it's a unique challenge there as well, the daylight hours. You, you, found, you must have found your mood changed. I just can't imagine the moods that you would go through. And it was really hard for me as a leader. And I think any leader listening, and I, I use the word leader as leader in the home or in the community or in a workplace. I think leadership is a behavior, not a title. But I think for any leaders listening, I think we all know that scrutiny that you, you're being watched as a leader. And for me, doing that 24 hours a day, every day for a year was just exhausting. And we did have an incident where we had a plane crash where um, one of our planes went down and oh. the people were okay, but I, I couldn't get to them. I had to get an engineer out there to fix the plane and it was going to take about five days. And in my head, you know, knowing my background is in public relations, my head's just spinning going, oh my goodness, I, I have no idea what to do here. But if I had gone out publicly to the, the team and said, well, I don't know what to do here, that doesn't instill confidence. So in my head, I'm thinking I have to portray optimism and calm and confidence and let people know we will get them back. And that's the same thing, I think, for leaders now at the moment with the pandemic, even though there'll be times where you're feeling, oh, my goodness, you know, I just don't know if I can go on anymore. I just need a break. When you're the leader or you're the business owner, you've just got to dig deep. You've got to look after yourself enough so you can go, okay, I need to just regroup here. And that's what I had to do with the plane crash. I had to just go, right, I need to spend 10 minutes on my own just to breathe and just go back out and face the music because I was the leader. And that's the scrutiny you're under when, when you're in a leadership role. Well, and let's dive into leadership then, uh, uh, because you're leading under these extreme conditions. You have these people who are clearly experts in what they do, right? So you're not going to be able mm. to tell a lot of them, scientists, no, 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 you're doing this thing wrong. You're just trying to keep everybody together. What are the important things for a leader to do when you're trying to mold this team for the first time? It's a really, it's a difficult one. And I'm particularly when I work with younger leaders who will say to me, they don't have the confidence because they're managing technical specialists and they're not a technical specialist. 
And I always say to them that I wasn't managing an Antarctic science program. I'm managing people. And I think if you can keep that front of mind, I think that gives you the confidence then to go, well, okay, I don't need to know the, the detail. I need to know how to get the information out of these people so that we can make good decisions for the expedition. So that was our number one goal was the expedition. And I think one of the things that was really important for my team was that that mantra, that respect trumps harmony. And we did that deliberately, or I did that deliberately, because we were so different. We were across gender, political backgrounds, um, sexuality, religion, culture, you name it. We were so different. And I just thought if if I expect them all to love each other or even like each other, it's not going to happen. And, and that's a lot of pressure to put on people when you have to live and work together around the clock. So I took it off the table and I just said, I don't expect you to love each other. I expect you'll treat each other with respect. And I think that that built respect in the team. So they respected me as a leader, even though I didn't have their technical expertise, they respected that I was an experienced and qualified leader of of people. And I think that gave me confidence then to go, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. And you think that's the same for any leader? I mean, not just in Antarctica, that it really is much more about respect. And if you're looking for harmony, maybe you're misguided? I do. I really, that's what the, the whole year down there taught me that. And I think... Previously, I thought harmony was not a bad thing. And, you know, you want harmony in your workplace. You don't want conflict. But what I learned down there was when you focus on harmony, when that's your number one goal, um, a few things happen. But two really important ones is you, you won't get innovation. People won't innovate because they won't put their hand up and offer a difference of opinion or a conflicting view or they won't challenge because they don't want to rock the boat. And the, the other one is with safety and mental health. If, if the focus is on harmony, people walk past someone doing something unsafe. Or if the focus is on, oh, harmony, isn't it great? We all love each other. That's when people don't put their hand up and go, actually, I'm, I'm not so great right now. And I think more than ever, we need to have those open conversations and say, look, today is just a bad day for me. But I think if you're focusing too much on harmony and getting along and, and keeping the peace, then I think that's that's where you're in trouble. And that's where, yeah, you won't innovate. And that's when and, and the risk to the business. You know, we see it a lot over here in Australia. We've had a few a few royal commissions or inquiries into to companies that have behaved badly, or their executives have. And that's because people just turned a blind eye to yeah. the bad behavior. They they knew it was going on. They knew absolutely. And they just turn a blind eye because it's, oh, I don't, don't want to get involved. And I think that's what happens when you have a culture of harmony. The good news, though, Rachel, here in the United States, we have never have people that are doing bad things at companies. That just doesn't happen here. <laughs> so we, we, we don't need any of that. Utopia. <laughs> it is. I don't know if you know, it, it's heaven. Sure, we have the coronavirus stuff, but it is heaven. Uh, it's so interesting when you talk about this. And this was a big aha that I got as I was reading your book was just this idea that sometimes disagreement and having this culture disagreement is fantastic. In fact, throughout you, you point at a lot of companies, you shine a light on a lot of companies doing good things. And one company is one here in the financial industry in the United States. You talk about Vanguard and Vanguard Investments has a culture of disagreement. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, they were amazing. I work with them briefly because I speak at events. And so every time I have, have a new client, I have to learn the background and the culture of the company to be able to present at their conference. And they have a fantastic culture of don't ask who, ask how or ask why. So when something goes wrong, it's often, you know, people look to who did it, who, who did that, but they put that aside and they go, don't, don't worry about who did it. Let's work out why it happened and how do we stop it happening again? 
And they also have a culture where they have someone deliberately playing a devil's advocate role when they're looking at new ideas or new products or new services. So rather than having that complicit everyone around the table nodding and saying, yeah, it's a great idea, they identify one or two people and their role at that discussion is to actually find the faults or find the gaps or find the missing links to actually really challenge and it's part of their culture. And so, and for my team, we had a similar thing that you, you might have read about called no triangles. And no triangles is just, I don't speak to you about Joe. If I have something to say to Joe, I go directly to him. I don't take it to a third party. And because we made that explicit in the culture, I actually got the guys together and I said, let's have these direct conversations, huh? Let's build respect in the team, have a direct conversation, put your hand up if you agree. Everyone's hand went up in the air. And so it meant the next time someone came to me with that complaining, oh, he did this to me, I could say, hang on, I saw you put your hand up and commit to no triangle. So why are you talking to me about it? Why aren't you talking to him? And it only worked because I made it visible and I made it a fact, you know, so I made it, I explicitly said, this is how we're going to operate around here. And that took away the confronting. It's not confronting anymore because that's how this team operates. And I think that's similar with Vanguard, that it's not a confronting behavior because that's how this team operates. So when you do those sorts of things, yeah, you make it part of the culture and it's a lot easier to, to adapt it and adopt it rather than, yeah, if it's just a line on a, on a mission statement or, or part of your values. Yeah. But the leader making it explicit that we're not going to triangle, I think is very, very important. I mean, it, A, as a person, you don't want to do that, right? Talk behind other people's back, but as a leader making it explicit, I think is a big point. And it honestly, it, it took me by surprise too, because I only said it, um, someone come and came and complained and I said, would you like me to do something about this? And he said, no, I'm just telling you. And I said out loud, I said, but hang on, if you don't talk to him and I don't talk to him, he's never going to know. You and I have this conversation next week. And then in my head, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm here for 52 weeks. I'm going to have this conversation 52 times. And that's just one of you. There's 16 others. And I actually said out loud, so let's not do this triangle thing. You go and talk to him. And by all means, if you can't sort it out, I'll step in. That's my job. But out of respect. And honestly, from that moment on, once we indoctrinated that into our culture, I think it saved me probably 45 minutes a day, up to an hour a day in time and energy. Because I would sit there thinking, oh, I need to go and talk to Joe. He's one of my best people and he's doing great. And I should let him know he's doing great. Because if you want to retain good people, you've got to let them know. But I was so darn tired from these triangles. I didn't have the energy. I thought, I just don't have the energy to go and see my good people because I'm burnt out from these conversations. So as soon as I implemented no triangles, I suddenly had energy to go and talk to my good people. So actually, yeah, it changed my life, but I had to be explicit about it. You're right. I had to be really explicit. That's funny. Your job goes from soul eating to soul nourishing, I would think too, just the overall <laughs> overall thing. But you guys had a problem. You had a problem. And I got to say, this is a very serious problem. You had a problem around bacon. I've, I have to tell you, Rachel, I've never had a problem with bacon. Like, I, I love bacon, but what was your bacon problem in Antarctica? The, the bacon war. And I would love to say that's a metaphor for something else, but it's not. It actually was. That's what I thought, by the way, when I first read that yeah. you were going to talk about the bacon war. I'm like, oh, that's like the Boer War. There's some. No, no, it was a bacon war. No, it was legitimately the team wanted me to stop operations, to have a meeting, to discuss whether the bacon should be cooked soft or crispy. <laughs> on the Monday morning because the chef cooks it every other day, but she had Monday morning off because the diesel mechanics wanted it soft and the plumbers wanted it crispy. 
And they wanted me to stop this meet, stop the whole thing, shut down the whole station, have a meeting. And I just said, no. But when I got got to the bottom of it, I found out one team thought the other team, they were doing it deliberately just to irritate them, right? And I thought, oh, wow, this is not about bacon. It's about respect. They're feeling disrespected. It's manifested in the bacon, but they're actually feeling like this team is deliberately trying to antagonize them. And I started to identify all these little things that happen in teams and at home that drive us crazy. And the reason is because they're a symptom of a deeper issue. And the deeper issue is that lack of respect. And it's it's things like wet towels left on the floor or people who take the car out and don't bring it back with any gas. And you have to go and put gas in the car before you go anywhere. Um, the classic here in Australia, we, we've done research on this, our big one in our offices is dirty coffee mugs and dirty staff um, refrigerator. So people bringing mm. lunch in and leaving stuff in there for days and days yes. or leaving dirty coffee mugs. And someone said to me, oh yeah, but why don't they just put the dirty coffee mug in the dishwasher? And I said, because it's not about a dirty coffee mug. It's about respect. It implies my time is more important than your time. So I will leave my stuff lying around and you can pick up after me. And that's the bit that drives us bonkers. It's not the dirty coffee mug or the wet towel. It's the disrespect. And it's similar with with companies I work with. And it's a culture in a lot of companies that a 10 o'clock meeting starts at 10.15. And, and so people are sitting there, some of them are sitting there at 10 a.m. and others wandering at 10.15. And when you sit there as a visitor and you say, what's this about? And they say, oh, yeah, this one's always late and they're always late. And I'm like, wow, that's that's in my culture. That's really disrespectful to make people wait for you um, for 15 or 20 minutes. And it's, it is different around the world. But most teams, a sign of respect is to start on time. And it's just these little things. And, and you think, oh, it's only five or 10 minutes, but it's not. It's disrespectful. So it was fascinating. The bacon wars <laughs> was like this epiphany. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I started to think of like 20, 30 different bacon wars. <laughs> well, what did you? how long a conversation did that end up being? Uh, because I can imagine you getting everybody together and having this conversation. How did that conversation go? Did it get heated? It, uh, I did um, what we call in, in leadership school, um, root cause analysis. So you ask the five why. So you go, why, 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 why? So the first question was, why is this an issue? Oh, because they um, they always cook it the way we don't like. Why is that a problem? Because we ask them to do stuff all the time and they ignore us. Why is that a why does that affect you? Because we've asked them not to throw their tools in the back of the ute because it creates more work for us as the mechanics. Here it comes. Why is that an issue? Yeah, why is that the issue? Because we've already got a full works program and when they disrespect the, the use of the vehicle and create more work for us, it means we don't get our work program done. And so by doing that five whys, I got to the root cause and the root cause of this issue was that the diesel mechanics were feeling like these other trades were disrespecting them by throwing things into the vehicle and creating work, but it manifested in the bacon. I mean, who'd have thunk it? It was just that I had so much time on my hands down there. There's nothing else to do in winter except bleed these people that I actually, and I kept a journal. So I'm writing in my journal going, what's going on here? What's happening? So it took me about three or four days to crack this nut and get to the bottom of it. But once I realized what it was, I just had to call a meeting and say, look, you know, respect Trump's harmony. When it's your turn to cook the bacon, cook it the way you like it. (laughs) Isn't that brilliant? (laughs) And everybody said, yeah. Yes. They all just went, oh, well, that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the good news once again about about the United States is that we don't leave dirty stuff in the fridge and we never start meetings late. So we don't have any... (laughs) Don't. It really is utopia. It is. Inc- I got to tell you, next time you're here. Yeah. Nirvana. Yeah. It yeah. is fantastic. What, what what surprised you most about Antarctica? The color. 
the colour. Because I didn't know anything about Antarctica, I'd never seen any pictures, I'd never read, read anything or watched Like, where are the trees? Yeah, I thought it was all white. <laughs> I thought, you know, it's all white. I've seen a photo of it's white. I didn't realise that, particularly in winter, around this time of year actually, which is our, our winter down there, it's so cold that there's little crystals in the sky and the sun hits these crystals and refracts light. And so there's colours like red and green and blue and pink and colours that don't even have a name. And they, they create these things. Some of them, they're called solar pillars or sun dogs. You can Google them and you'll get these beautiful images. And there is so much colour. And here I am thinking Antarctica's all white. And yet I spent most of my time down there looking at this colour. And then, of course, you've got the um, Aurora Australis, which is similar to the Aurora Borealis in the yeah. north. So the light, cool light show. So you just be sitting there and this extraordinary curtain of green lights just dances across the sky. And it's just amazing. And you're really, particularly for me as the leader, I needed to... Be, to experience those moments so that when things got tough, when I thought, oh, what have I done? Why am I here? Why have I given up everything I love to be in this place? I had to hold fast to those moments. I had to cling to those moments. Go, that's why I, I, I've given up my family and walking on the beach and playing sport. It's, it's to experience all this stuff. Yeah. You know, or fresh food. Fresh food. I gave up fresh food for a year just to, to, to experience penguins and lights. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that next. Penguins? What did you think of penguins up close? I, hilarious. They're such funny little critters. And they. Uh, I was watching them one day and one of the breeds down there, the Adelis, they make their nests out of uh, pebbles. You'll see they're the little ones on happy feet, the little black and white ones, tiny ones. And they make their nest out of pebbles. And I was watching them and one day this guy's making his nest out of, out of these little pebbles and as soon as he put the little rock down his little pebble down his neighbor came and stole his pebble and put it on his own nest and the first guy comes back and you could see him going hang on a minute there's something not right here but anyway so he went and got another little pebble put it down on his nest it happened six times before the original guy worked out that his neighbor was stealing his little pebbles <laughs> and then it was on for young and old so there's wings and beaks and birds going everywhere I had tears rolling down my face laughing so much and I still you know I travel a lot for work now and I'm stuck in airport lounges and delayed flights that memory I can just close my eyes and it's such a vivid memory and it was so unique not many people get to experience that so I kept that memory strong and to this day I keep it strong because that's my part of my resilience you know I'll go back to that memory and go oh I mean remember that day the little guys were fighting over the and you know it's a continent full of pebbles and rocks so there was plenty more to, to go but this guy just thought it was easier <laughs> to steal his neighbors I can just imagine you standing there going no it's respect respect yeah I should have. I should have moved it back, shouldn't I? I should, have, right. I should have picked it up and put it back on his nest and gone, you, go. Respect your neighbor. Come on. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Uh, uh, would you ever go back? No. Um. It is. When I read, by the way, you said that in the book and I laughed out loud. Like, you know, people say I laugh out loud all the time. But when you said in the book, uh, no, people ask me all the time, I would never go back. No. And I think, again, any, any leader would know this. Um, any parent would know this, that. If I could go down there and not be a leader, if I could go down there and take that leadership hat off and just have a glass of wine and take a night off and relax, maybe. But when you're the leader, you don't knock off, not in that environment. So I'm leading 24 hours a day, every day for a year. So even when I had moments of homesickness where I didn't feel like leading or when I was just tired and didn't feel like leading, I still had to lead. And I think that's exhausting. And it's Nothing could have prepared me for it. I spoke to previous leaders in my training 
training and I started to learn about it. And they said to me, you know, you're being watched the whole time. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. But I didn't realize it until I was down there. And so when wherever you sit for a meal is being watched, um, what time you start work or finish work is being noted, just because there's no distractions. So there's no television. We don't have teleconferencing or video conferencing. So there's no media down there at all, no radio. So your world is so tiny. It's just this little Antarctic station and the people on the station. There's nothing even going on outside. There's no <laughs> wildlife in winter. So the only, I guess, interesting thing is is watching the boss. And, and so it's just exhausting. And I even think of the time um, at the start of winter where I got, I got sick. It was just, I think, tonsillitis. It wasn't anything major. But the entire station signed a Get Well card for me and they made a little, oh, um, lemon and honey tea and it was this big event and I'm oh. like oh my goodness I just, just I just want a day off I'd be happy with a day off and I couldn't get upset about that because they were showing that they cared about me but yeah it's just it's too much just not having any time off for a year it's exhausting it's absolutely exhausting <laughs> the book is respect trump's harmony and by the way there are so many of those lessons even as you were talking just the idea of when you become a leader and I found this when I was first a leader, just, just the, think about, you talked about where you sit at the table, think about after work events you go to and how that looks to other people. I mean, some of these things, it's, it's, it's packed full of those. The book's available everywhere, I assume. It is, yes. And it's online at uh, Amazon at the moment. So yeah, just, we released it um, just recently. <laughs> Good time to be releasing a book. But, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> well, people got time to read now. Well, they've got time to read and the lessons around um, leading out of isolation too and leading leading when you're with a team that you're living with and working with is is one thing. But also the, the big thing for me, and it's probably not included in the book, I probably shouldn't, I need to write a new book, coming out of isolation. And I actually thought coming home would be the easy bit, that I'd be hanging out to come home and see my family and eat fresh food. And I was. But I was quite overwhelmed coming back to noise and choice and physically having to move again from oh. one place to another was overwhelming. And I think a lot of us will be feeling that right now. There'll be people who can't wait to go back to the workplace and see their colleagues and go back to socialising on weekends. There'll be other people who are really anxious about it and got the butterflies in their stomach. And there'll be a whole swag of people in the middle. And from my experience, after nine months of isolation, I was totally unprepared for coming back to the real world. I thought I'd just slip back in and I didn't. So things overwhelmed me standing in the, the uh, breakfast cereal aisle, looking at all the different breakfast cereal options, because for 12 months I had whatever the chef cooked, which is usually either a muesli or bacon and eggs. And, you know, suddenly there's like 60 different types of breakfast cereal and it's like, oh my goodness, I'm overwhelmed. And so I think for leaders again now, just that, that, um, just understanding that and being aware that people will be different, respect Trump's harmony. There'll be people feeling all sorts of different feelings and emotions right now as different cities start opening up. Uh, and that's okay. You know, just respect that that's okay. We will approach this differently because, yeah, it did. I found it really, really difficult to come out of isolation. Well, thank you for hanging out with us, Rachel, for a few minutes and talking about leadership, Antarctica, and of all things, bacon. <laughs> My absolute pleasure. And, and for what it's worth, my vote goes for the crispy bacon, always. <laughs> hey, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and making the show here three days a week, I got to tell you, feels like exploring uncharted frontiers. And while Rachel was talking about keeping her people motivated in Antarctica, I was dealing with something way harder, keeping these guys motivated here in the basement. I mean... If Rachel thinks motivating people in Antarctica is hard, and I know this is even harder, what about motivating people in space? 
Would you believe on this date in history, all the way back in 1969, that Apollo 11 landed on the moon? Well, here's a trivia question. How much did that voyage cost? I know that's a hard one, so let's make it multiple choice. Uh, let's see here. Did the voyage cost $8.4 billion, $12.8 billion, $17.47, $18.4 billion, or $25.4 billion? I'll be back faster than you can count down to blast off. Bonjour. Welcome to French Made Easy with me, your host, Mathilde. Today, I'm joined by certified financial planner Devin Carroll, and together we will share a popular and simple French phrase so you too can use it in your own life. Sound easy? Sure. Today's phrase is Mutual funds with high fees make me uncomfortable, Larry. In French, you would say this popular phrase just like this. Larry, les fonds de placement avec des frais élevés me mettent mal à l'aise. Once again, Larry, les fonds de placement avec des frais élevés me mettent mal à l'aise. Now, let's hear certified financial planner Devin Carroll try it. Ready, Devin? Okay. Fonds communes de placement, Larry avec des honoraires, élevés me font mal à l'aise. Ugh, nailed it. Perfect. See how we sound almost exactly alike? You too can speak French easily and comfortably listening to Stacking Benjamins. See you next time. Au revoir. Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And you know, during the break, I just installed the new motivational posters Joe's mom ordered for me because, you know, I'm probably like a natural-born leader like Rachel Robertson. So, you know, we got to have those posters to keep everybody on message. Check out this one she's got. Make your life a warning for others. Isn't that great? It's just so inspirational. Or how about this one? I just hung over by the canned peaches. Hard work pays off later, but laziness pays off now. <laughs> just, it, it makes you feel energized, like, right now. Man, for some reason, I suddenly want a nap, though. Probably working too hard. That's what all us great leaders do. But... Let's get you to today's trivia answer. Question was, since Apollo 11 landed on the moon on this date in history back in 1969, nice. How much did that voyage cost? Was it 8.4 billion, 12.8 billion, uh, $17.47, uh, 18.4 billion or 25.4 billion? Would you believe that one small step for man, but that one giant leap for mankind cost NASA a whopping 25.4 billion big ones? And by the way, with inflation in today's dollars, that would be worth like $152 billion. Man, we were really committed to beating those rooskies now. And, uh, and now you're motivated to get your day rolling. As good motivational speakers say, dream small because it's your best hope for success. See ya! Could you imagine days upon days upon days of no sun? It's like Michigan. But I think the big lesson there is that I didn't know these research stations had a bar. All of a sudden, I'm like, well, I'm in. I'm in. That's... that's, that's 
<laughs> so it's always nighttime and I can drink bourbon all the time? <laughs> Sign me up. Uh, it's 4 a.m. here, but it literally it's 5 p.m. somewhere. <laughs> not that far away if you're in Antarctica, right? I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, those those uh, time zones go pole to pole, so I could probably walk a few hundred yards and I'm 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 at 5 p.m. Just walk a little perimeter. Maybe not. You would. Hey, let's uh, throw out the Haven Lifeline. Isn't that funny? Didn't that splash sound cold? Usually I hear the splash. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. But today after Rachel was out, I'm like, oh, that would be mm-hmm. freezing. Do not want to go in the water. Polar uh, plunge. We'll throw out the Haven Lifeline, tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Maybe uh, Polar bear cheeseburgers. <laughs> And watching penguins. Eating penguins, right? Don't you roast them? You don't, I don't, I guess you don't enough, barbecue a penguin? I guess enough mayonnaise. <laughs> Tastes like chicken. Here, here comes the pita calls. Here, here they come. We limit our consumption to only one penguin per person. Don't worry. <laughs> Yum. Our friends at Haven Lifeline uh, actually think that it's your loved ones in your time, not eating penguins. It's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now. You'll get a free quote. And you already know, if you've listened to the show, that they're more than 160 years old. Haven Life is not, but their parent company, Mass Mutual, is. So you get the benefits of a fintech startup and insurance through a company that you know is going to be around. Prices are affordable. Application is simple and it's online. Stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. And today we're going to throw out the Haven Lifeline to our new buddy, Sean. Say hi, Sean. Hi, guys. I had a question in regards to your comment on the 25 ways to better your 401k. I was especially interested in the method of not doing the norm of putting 60-40 in terms of stocks and bonds, but possibly to go much higher in the stock category. I wasn't sure whether that was 100% or 90-10, but I am in my early 50s and I'd like to get to retirement. I think I have enough to possibly go for it soon. The question is, how do you go about that allocation? And how do you pull out the money? Thank you very much for your time. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for that question, Sean. By the way, interesting story. Sean made the beginning of an earlier show. We said we we're going to answer Sean's question. So he uh, huddled around the radio waiting for his answer. <laughs> and then we made and switched him. He got Chelsea Brennan on the show. Psych. <laughs> By some other, co- we're like, yeah, no, we're not taking that. No, sorry about that, Sean. We've had some weirdness with uh, me we traveling. We rank questions in hierarchy of yeah. awesomeness. This was turns like a four, out somebody. It was like a four and a half. Yeah. No. Yeah, so Great question, Sean. We even talked about OG's kidding, favorite Sean. topic of landing the plane. We're going to talk about landing the plane. You're set up <sighs> at the runway. I had a sweet landings last week. Oh, they were, they were butter, man. Oh, you're talking about money. When you came to mom's house in Texarkana. Which yeah. now mom has moved to Cleveland for the week. <laughs> exactly. So I'm glad that you uh, uh, got that. But anyway, let's talk about it. Well, there's he, he has two questions here, which is, you know, what's the right allocation 
you know, my two cents on the matter is, is that I don't know why anybody would have any fixed income in their portfolio and certainly not 40% of it for crying out loud, because uh, of a whole host of reasons, the least of which is inflation and interest rates are low and over a long period of time, bonds just don't return very much. That being said, I think the the real way to handle this is to think about it from the perspective of how much money do you have and what are you trying to live on and what's the allocation that gives you the highest likelihood of success with that. If you have $15 million and you're trying to live on five grand a month, it doesn't matter what portfolio you pick. You know, if you have a million dollars and you're trying to live on five grand a month, it really matters what portfolio you're going to pick. So I think that's where you start, which is what portfolio or what big picture portfolio gives you the highest chance of success, whether that's a 60-40 allocation or a 100% stock allocation. And once you have that, then you can start thinking about your distribution plan, your income plan. So how are you going to live on it? And my philosophy on this is that you put money in over your lifetime in small little increments. You you took it out of your paycheck like we talked about earlier in your 401k. So you should take it out of your investment account the same way. You know, a lot of people like to take out big lump sums and say, well, I'm going to, you know, take this whole year out. I'm going to take these next five years out or whatever. And I guess whatever you want to do makes you happy. But for me, I would just rather set it up to get a normal paycheck just like I had been. If I plan on living on $5,000 a month, well, then I'll just set it up to sell $5,000 a month of my stock portfolio or my investment portfolio, let's say, and have that deposited into my bank account on the first of the month, just like I would with a normal paycheck. It gives you the opportunity to stay you know, reasonably close in your allocation. And, uh, and the thing that's most important, all of this boils down to keeping your money invested the longest amount of time possible. So by doing it in that regard, you're allowing your portfolio to stay invested for the longest uh, period. You know, that's how I would do it. But you got to start with the end in mind there. Well, and I also think that much like a pilot will learn about air currents and yeah, there's nothing wrong with the way the plane is acting now under these conditions. I also think that spending a little bit of time on what I'll call the bounciness of the portfolio OG that you're suggesting versus that 60-40 split, because don't get me wrong, you'll fly faster on a tank of gas, if you know what I mean, but you're also going to have a little more choppy approach. And, And the issue there is not the efficacy of what OG's talking about. It's your ability to not touch it to Mm -hmm. sit and let it do what it's supposed to do. Cause that's the only reason why I would ever disagree with what you just said has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the person who goes, yes, it's too bumpy. Yeah. Well, that is the single biggest issue when it comes to investment management and behavior is, is just simply doing the wrong thing at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. You know, so much what we talk about on the show is about tricking yourself. Earlier, we were talking about the 401k. It doesn't suck because there's high costs in some cases or there's no tax benefit. It's great because you're tricking yourself. You're saying, I'm going to fool myself into thinking I don't have this money. So I'm tricking myself into it. And the same thing is true with your investment plan. You have to trick yourself into letting it be. You know, statistically, people fiddled with their stuff in February, March. 
and April and are continuing to do it today. We can look at the trade data and see what's going on. Um, now, people that listen to our show are like, I didn't touch it. I backed the truck up. Well, maybe, but statistically, most people did. And, and that's a function of, like you said, not being okay with the general ups and downs of what that's going to do. And so you do have to know if I'm going to have this allocation, whether it's 60-40 or 80-20 or 100-0, what's the range of normalcy? What should I expect during uh, normal market conditions? What's a realistic up and down that I shouldn't expect? Most people are really okay with the ups. But, but you know, you have to recognize that if you had a 30% positive year in 2019, that just opens you up for a 30% negative year in 2020. It, it ever so it must be thus if you can't tolerate it it doesn't matter what the right math is does not if you're going to blow it up it's going to you're going to blow it up halfway through so you have to make other changes and that's the hard part the hard part is recognizing that you can't do what you need to do and therefore having to change something else like you're you got to work five more years or you have to save more money between now and then or you have to spend less in retirement the easy solution is go, I'll just get 10%. I'll just put me down for 10 and then I can do what I want. And then you get the minus 30 and you go, whoa, 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 I can't do minus 30. And then you make a change and, you know, you just blew up 20 years of your plan. So to thine own self be true. <laughs> what an appropriate ending. That was like a ta-da at the end of, <laughs> at the end of that. Nice work. Thanks for the question, Sean. You got a question? Not only will we answer the question, you know, on our own time, because when we get to it, we can't be forced to answer the question, even when we say we're going to. Uh, well, to be fair, though, Sean did get his free T-shirt. He did. He got that stat. At least Gertrude does her job. We might yeah. not do ours, but mom's friend Gertrude sent out that T-shirt ASAP. Hey, speaking of uh, cool stuff, if you're somebody who needs better cool help in your corner, and you looked at the first half of this year. Remember, we were talking about 401ks and not doing anything is the key. If you're like, man, I got to start doing something. I'm just, it's not working. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. His team is taking clients. You can see how they work and how they could interface with your plan to make next year a much better year. By the way, on that note, as we were looking for a place to live, we were in Mobile, Alabama. What a beautiful town. And, well, you know what? I might talk about that another time. So, all right. I think that's going to do it for today. How about that? I shouldn't have done that. It's just a, such What yeah. a hook. Yeah. I, yeah. I might talk about that. Uh, all right. Come back on Wednesday, everybody. Fantastic show. We'll see you back here next time at Stacky Benjamins. All right, Doug, take it from here. What should we have learned today? Yeah, sure thing, Joe. I'll motivate everybody with my incredible ability to synthesize tons of information down into some very simple principles. How's this? First, take a lesson from our headline. Are 401ks bad? No. Not saving is bad. Second, take a lesson from Rachel Robertson. In order to achieve results, work toward everyone respecting each other. That way, regardless of how much they like each other, something you can't control, the work gets done. But the big takeaway, turns out these posters aren't motivational at all. I just hung one that said, remember, the Titanic was built by professionals and it motivated nobody. You'd think the message like isn't getting through or something. 
We want to send a big thanks to Rachel Robertson for coming down to the basement all the way from Australia. Wait, wasn't she already down under? Anyway, you can find everything about Rachel at rachelrobertson.au. We'll have a link to her website and to her new book, Respect Trump's Harmony, Why Being Liked is Overrated and Constructive Conflict Gets Results on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. That was awful. And I'm half asleep because we have been uh, traveling the country. Won't get into how fun that is during these times between some people who think slobbering all over everything is appropriate, which you're hyper thinking about and other people who are wearing a spacesuit wherever they go. Like you, you're, which is you, you're just seeing the, just seeing the gamut. The, uh, won't go into people that. slobbering all over stuff. It's so funny. The um, the town of Mobile, Alabama, is absolutely fantastic. But we go check into our hotel, and it's one of the hotels downtown. And the woman gives us our key. And the key says she licked it first. Uh, she did not. She did something far worse. Our room number was 2020. I'm like, you could have given me room 1313. I would have preferred it. Or room 666. Been like, cool, at least it's not 2020. On the 13th floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, good. I got room 1313. At least it's not 2020. So we got room 2020. But it was, it was cool. Man, Mobile. I've never been downtown Mobile. Driven by it on Highway 10 a couple times. Uh, mm-hmm. Seen the USS Alabama there parked. And um, just a beautiful looking place. And not only did we stay down there, we also, you know, went out for a morning run and explored downtown and some of the neighborhoods and the waterfront. What a what a beautiful place. Just a beautiful place. I agree. I know a lot of people like the beaches. Just The problem with is going across the bay 
when you go across the bay, you kind of get stuck in traffic right there because people are turning off to go to the beach yeah. for like the next 50 miles on yeah. 10. So it's like you go across the bridge and then it's slowing down because there's so many exits to beach, to beach, beach. beach along the way. We, like, we, uh, you're like, I've we, got places to be, people. <laughs> Luckily for us, it was eight o'clock in the morning and that was not an issue. I don't think the beachcombers oh, yeah, were, were quite out yet, but a great time. We saw a good deal of the Southeast and now mom said we're parked for a few days in Cleveland, Ohio. So broadcasting out of mom's basement in Cleveland. Our friend Paula Pant also driving across the United States. And she said that she was going between two cities, roughly equal to what we were doing. I was going to Vald- from Valdosta, Georgia to Cleveland and she was doing it in two days. And I told her that I was, I was pushing through. We were going to do it in one. She's like, you're crazy. I'm like, no, 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 no. I would rather have one day that completely sucks than have two kind of crappy days on the road. Just give me one day. Let's eat it all. Be a glutton for mileage. But you called me two hours from your destination yesterday and said, I should learn how to fly an airplane. <laughs> I did. I'm like, I'm like, what does that airplane cost? <laughs> how long are those lessons? How fast can I get from Georgia to Cleveland? Eh, about three hours. I love satellite radio, but not this much satellite radio. Yeah, I've heard it all. Yeah, I've finished serious. Good times. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine... You can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.